Welcome to the Summerton Church of God Sermon Podcast, a podcast to help you find life, freedom, and purpose in Jesus Christ. I want you to take your Bibles this morning. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. And then I also want you to be ready to turn quickly with me over to Acts chapter 19. And I'm just going to go ahead and warn you right up front this morning. I got a lot of scriptures to share with you today. You're like, well, what's new? No, even compared to what I normally give you, I've got an unusual amount of scriptures that I want to share with you today because I think it's extremely important that you not just hear from me this morning, but that you hear the word of God. Last week, I shared with you the word that I believe that the Lord has given our church for 2021. And that word is stand. Everybody say stand. Stand. And I'm declaring over this body that in 2021, that no matter what comes our way, we will stand. Why don't you just look at that neighbor there beside you and say, listen, we will stand. Amen. Now, I know that there's probably some people that would say, well, this is just one of those words that's not relevant for where I am right now in my life. Because I think I'm pretty strong right now. I feel like that I could pretty much overcome anything that the enemy would bring against me. Now listen, it's that kind, now listen, I thank God for faith. But if you're not careful, sometimes faith can be disguised as confidence, self-confidence. Or should I say that self-confidence sometimes can come across as faith. But self-confidence, if you're not careful, can get you in a lot of trouble. That's why the Apostle Paul tells us this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12. He says, if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. How many of you remember a disciple of Jesus by the name of Peter? Remember what Peter told Jesus. He said, Jesus, I don't care if if they threaten me, if our enemies, I don't care if they even threaten my life. I'll never deny you. And Jesus looked at him and he said, no, he says, before the rooster crows, you will have denied me three times. And Peter did exactly that. This same man that said, Lord, no matter what comes against me, no matter what kind of opposition I may face from my enemy, no matter what kind of threats they may make against my life, Lord, I'll never deny you, but he did, not once, not twice, but three times he denied the Lord. And Peter had to learn that if you are going to stand, you've got to learn to stand, not in your own might, not in your own power, not in your own confidence, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so this morning, I want to talk to you about strength for the battle, because really, this is where it begins. The Apostle Paul said to these Ephesian believers in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, he says, finally, my brethren, 
Notice, he wants to identify with these people. He, he identifies with them as his brothers and sisters in the Lord. And he said, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. And in the power of his might. Now, why would the Apostle Paul come to the end of this book? And this is usually one of the first questions I always ask when I'm reading scripture and somebody says something like this, first of all, I want to know why are you saying this? So why is Paul getting to the last chapter, getting to the last part of this letter that he's writing to the church at Ephesus? And why does he say, okay, finally, the last thing, but the most important thing that I'm going to share with you is this, and that is be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Why would he say that to these Ephesian believers? Well, that's one of the reasons why I've asked you to read through the book of Ephesians with me during this 21 days of prayer and fasting. Because what you're going to discover is that in chapters 1, 2, and 3 of the book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul is talking to Ephesian believers and the Holy Spirit is speaking to all of us believers and wanting us to recognize our position now that we are in Christ. And over and over and over and over again in those first three chapters, you hear Paul constantly saying, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. That it's important that you know who you are in Christ. But he doesn't just talk to them about their position in Christ. He also talks to them about the provision that's now available to them now that they are in Christ. So not just who they are in Christ, but now what is available to them. The riches of God, the riches of heaven that is now available to them because they are in Christ. But then when you get to chapter 4, he makes a little bit of a shift and he goes from talking about our position in Christ and the provision that we have in Christ to talking about our practice. Not just who we are and what's available to us, but now he's going to talk to us about how we are to actually live as followers of Jesus Christ. And he even says in a few of those verses of scripture that we are to be light in darkness. But, but the reason that Paul gets to the last part of this verse and says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might is this. And it's because he knew that if these believers ever truly grasped just who they are in Christ and what is available to them now that they are in Christ, and especially if they began to live the life that they were now called to live as followers of Christ, that is a holy life. He knew that if they began to do that, that sooner or later they were going to encounter opposition. Because how many of you know that if you're going to be light, sooner or later you're going to encounter darkness? And Paul is saying to them that if you truly live the kind of life that you've been called to live, you're going to get the devil mad, you're going to get the world mad, and they're going to begin to oppose you, and you're going to encounter some spiritual battles and some spiritual warfare, and so you need to be ready. You need to be strong, but not in yourselves. You need to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Nobody knew that better than the Apostle Paul himself. And we see an example of that in Acts chapter 19. I want you to go to your Bibles there in Acts chapter 19. 
Now, one thing that we need to remember about the, the Apostle Paul is this. The Apostle Paul, more than anything else, he was a missionary. God had called him to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Because up until this point, the gospel had only been brought to the Jews. And so God saves and God calls the apostle Paul to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And so Paul goes on three different missionary trips, three different missionary journeys. And on his second missionary journey, he goes to Ephesus and he starts this church in Ephesus. He plants a church in Ephesus. And that's who he's writing to here in Ephesians. But then on his third missionary trip, he goes back to Ephesus. And when he gets there, he goes into the synagogue and he began to teach. He began to preach the word of God. Now, one thing you will notice about the Apostle Paul when you study his life as a missionary is usually he didn't stay very long in the synagogue because religious people don't want to hear the truth. But when he gets to Ephesus, he actually stays in the synagogue for a period of three months, which was the longest that he had ever been in any synagogue. And that's still not very long, is it? But Acts chapter 19 tells us that as he was teaching in the synagogue, that these religious people, their, their hearts became obstinate. Their hearts became hard. Their hearts became stubborn. And they even began to speak evil things against the followers of Christ including Paul himself. And so what, what does Paul do? Paul's like, well, if the church folk don't want to listen to me, I'll go somewhere else and teach. And so he ends up in the school of a man by the name of Tyrannus. And he teaches there for two years. He teaches the word of God to these Ephesians, both Jews and Greeks, for a period of two years. And, and look at what happens here when we go to verse 10 of Acts chapter 19. He said that this went on for two years, that is teaching in that school, so that people throughout the province of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. And then notice what the Holy Spirit did. The Holy Spirit then gave God, or, or God gave power, gave Paul the power to perform unusual miracles. This is about to get good. So here he is for two years, he's teaching. People are hearing the word of God. God gives Paul supernatural power to perform unusual miracles. And then it shares with us what some of those miracles were. It says that when handkerchiefs or aprons, this is where we get a prayer cloth from, that when handkerchiefs or aprons that had merely touched Paul's skin were placed on sick people, they were healed of their diseases and evil spirits were expelled. That's pretty powerful, don't you think? That Paul himself doesn't even have to be there. That, that pieces of cloth that has touched his skin, they now take pieces of cloth and lay it on the bodies of those who were sick, lay it on the bodies of those who were possessed by evil spirits, and they are healed and they are immediately set free. Well, there was a group of seven guys that had a reputation around town of being guys who would heal people and cast out demons. But they were not for real. They were not genuine. They were called the seven sons of Sceva. Sceva was a Jewish priest, a Jewish high priest. 
And these were his seven sons. And the Bible said that when they saw these miracles happen through the apostle Paul, that evidently Paul had discovered some kind of magic formula for people to be healed and for people to be set free. And so they thought, even though they don't have the spirit of God dwelling on the inside of them, and even though they were not true followers of Christ, they thought that they could just use that same formula to cast demons out themselves. Oh, but were they wrong? Because the Bible says that they attempted to cast demons out of people, and here's, here's how they would do it. They would say, you gotta come out in the name of Jesus and through the message or the gospel that Paul preaches, we command you to come out. Well, listen to the response they got. One time when they tried it, the evil spirit replied, I know Jesus and I know Paul, but who are you? Let me, let, let me ask you something today. Does Satan know who you are? Do, do the demons of hell, do they know who you are? And they looked at these seven sons of Sceva and they said, we know Jesus, we know Paul, but who are you? And, and, and look at what happens. It says, then the man with the evil spirit leaped on them, overpowered them, and attacked them with such violence that they fled from the house naked and battered. That's what happens when you try to do the work of God in your own power, in your own strength. Listen to me. There are so many things that will never happen unless they are happening through the power of the Holy Ghost through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the power of Christ Jesus that lives in us. Well, after this happened, notice, it says the story of what happened spread quickly all through Ephesus to Jews and Greeks alike. The story about what happened to these seven sons of Sceva. And a solemn fear descended on the city, and the name of the Lord Jesus was greatly honored. And then it says that many who became believers confessed their sinful practices. In other words revival is breaking out in this city revival is breaking out in Ephesus people are hearing the word of God people are being saved people are being healed people are being delivered from demonic spirits and notice what else happened it says a number of them who had been practicing sorcery brought their incantation books and burned them at a public bonfire the value of those books was several million Dollars. You know what they're doing? They're burning their bridges. They're saying that we've repented from our old lifestyle and we have no intention whatsoever of ever going back to that again. So revival's breaking out. And then it said, so the message about the Lord spread widely and had a powerful effect. What I want you to see here is that in this city of Ephesus, the people that Paul is writing to in Ephesians, I want you to see that they are experiencing a move of God. Revival has broken out. God is doing incredible, miraculous things through the people of God. But how many of you know that when God begins to move in that kind of way, listen, you can expect it. The devil is going to get angry. The devil is going to get mad and he's going to oppose the work of God. 
And that happens whether it be in a church, whether it be in a home, whether it be in a community, whether it be in a nation. When God begins to move, expect it. There is going to be opposition. There is going to be warfare. I had somebody ask me one time, Pastor, if you could sum up the Christian life with one word, what would it be? I said, warfare. I remember when the Lord called me to preach and gave me the opportunity to do what my heart's desire was, and that was to pastor. And I remember that first church that we went to pastor, and here's some of my precious members from that first church that we pastored out there in Leeds at Lifeway Church. And I remember when I got there the first day, I was like, man, this is my dream come true. This, I, I'm, I'm like on a honeymoon. But it didn't take me long to realize this wasn't a honeymoon. This was battle. This was warfare. I don't mind telling you that many times when I wake up on Sunday morning, I wish I was all anxious and excited and ready to get up and come preach the gospel to you. But many times when I wake up, I'm like, oh, no. You mean I got to do this again? I got to preach again. Why? Because it's warfare. It's warfare when I'm preparing these things to share with you. And it's warfare the whole time that I'm up here on this stage trying to preach it to you. Listen, anytime God does a work in your life, anytime God does a work in a church or whatever it is that he's doing a work in, expect that there's going to be opposition from the enemy. And that's exactly what happens here. Look, as we go down a few more verses, about that time, serious trouble developed in Ephesus concerning the way. The way is the phrase that they used to use to describe followers of Christ or to describe the church. So God is doing a great work. God is moving mightily, but about that same time, serious trouble develops about these followers of Christ. They begin to encounter some opposition and some warfare. And look at how the scripture describes it. It began with Demetrius, a silversmith who had a large business manufacturing silver shrines of the Greek goddess Artemis. Artemis. Artemis is just another word for Diana. She was the goddess of fertility. There was a huge statue of her in the great temple that sat there in Ephesus. At that time, it was one of the seven wonders of the known world. And inside that temple was this statue of the goddess Diana. And silversmiths like Demetrius, they would make little statues of Artemis, little statues of Diana that the people could purchase and they would take home and treat them as household idols. They would literally worship those idols. And when all of this began to happen and people began to get saved, and, and, and let me just tell you something right here. The uproar and the confusion that we're about to see that happens in Ephesus, it wasn't because Paul went over to the temple and had a big sign standing out in front of the temple and he was picketing the temple. It, it wasn't because he got a group of people together and said, we're going to riot in the streets until we get what we want. No, that's not what he did. What caused this stir in the city of Ephesus 
when Paul, it's when Paul would get up and he would preach and he would teach the word of God and people would hear the word of God and people would get saved and then those who got saved became witnesses of what had happened to them and slowly but surely more and more and more and more and more people were coming to Jesus and didn't need their little idols anymore and didn't need their little gods anymore and so what was happening to the silversmiths? They were being put out of business. I don't know about you, but I'm ready to put the devil out of business, aren't you? And I I can tell you right now that when you begin to preach the gospel with power, when you begin to preach the gospel through the anointing of the Holy Spirit, you are going to be opposed by those who gain their wealth from superstition and sin. You, You might as well get ready for it. When you begin to preach a gospel that messes with people's wealth and messes with people's pocketbooks and messes with people's sin in their life, get ready. You're going to have some opposition. Oh, somebody say a good amen right there. And and notice this now. He kept many craftsmen busy. A lot of other people were making money off these little silver idols. And so listen to what he says. He called them together along with others employed in similar trades and addressed them as follows. He says, gentlemen, you know that our wealth comes from this business. Notice the very first thing that he appeals to them about their wealth. James tells us that the love of money is what? The root of all evil. And there was all kind of evil in Ephesus because of their love for money. And then it goes on and it says this. He says, but as you have seen, and this is still Demetrius talking, he said, as you have seen and heard, this man Paul has persuaded many people that handmade gods aren't really gods at all. Oh, they're not, folks. They're not gods at all. And then he says, and he's done this not only here in Ephesus, but throughout the entire province. And he said, of course, I'm not just talking about the loss of public respect for our business. (laughs) Isn't that just the way these kind of folks work? They're like, yeah, I know it's going to affect our, the the bottom line. I know it's going to affect our wealth. I know it's going to affect our business. But guys, that's really not what this is all about. But that's where he starts. He appeals to them as it relates to their wealth. But then he hides it behind the mask of politics and religious loyalty. When we really know what the real issue was, It's affecting the amount of money that goes in my pocket. But he tried to make it about something else because he knew that that was the only way he was going to get the support that he needed. So he says, I'm also concerned that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will lose its influence and that Artemis, this magnificent goddess worshipped throughout the province of Asia and all around the world, will be robbed of her great prestige. That was not his concern at all. His only concern was people are getting saved. They're not buying these little silver statues anymore. And it's not going to just affect me, but it's going to affect a lot of other people in this town who make these things. 
And so it goes on to say in verse 28 that as this their anger boiled and they began shouting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Soon the whole city was filled with confusion. That's exactly the way that the enemy likes to work. That when God is doing a mighty work, when revival is breaking out, what does the enemy want to do? He wants to oppose it and he wants to throw everything into chaos and into confusion. So that it says everyone rushed to the amphitheater, dragging along Gaius and Aristarchus, who were Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia. They couldn't find Paul, so they grabbed a couple of his companions. They dragged them into the amphitheater where they intended to murder them, where they intended to kill them. They would have killed Paul too if they could have found him. But notice what the next scripture says because Paul was never one to run from a fight. Paul was never one to run from the opposition of the enemy. But the scripture says Paul wanted to go in too, but the believers wouldn't let him. Some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, also sent a message to him begging him not to risk his life by entering the amphitheater. Now, we don't know whether or not he ever really entered the amphitheater. I have a tendency to believe that he did because another time in another scripture, he talks about how he fought beasts in Ephesus. That was when you were taken out into the amphitheater and you were forced to fight live beasts like lions as a spectator sport for those people. And he said, I fought beasts. So I don't believe that Paul backed away from this fight. But then notice what happens in verse 32. Inside, the people were all shouting, some one thing, some another. Everything was in a confusion. In fact, most of them that was a part of this riot that was looting and was tearing everything down and burning stuff, they didn't even know why they were even there. I wonder sometimes some of the folk that we see riding, if they even know what they're riding about. If they even know what the cause is behind the riot. Because the enemy just wants confusion. The enemy just wants chaos. But what I'm trying to tell you is this in this passage of scripture. Is Paul is saying that when God begins to do a mighty work, even when revival begins to break out, you can begin to expect some warfare. You can begin to expect that there's going to be a battle that you're going to have to fight. And you would think that Paul, with his life being threatened here, you would think that he would want to get out of Ephesus as quickly as he could. But when you go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 8 and 9, Listen to what Paul says to those Corinthians. He said, I want to come over there to where you guys are, but right now I've got to stay right here at Ephesus until Pentecost because a great door for effective work has opened up to me and there are many who oppose me. Notice, he said, I know there's great opposition right now. I know that my life is being threatened right now, but I also know that we've got a great opportunity to do something good for God. And Paul had to learn in this situation what he talks to us about in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 8 and he writes these words about his experience in Ephesus and he says brothers and sisters we don't want you to be uninformed about the troubles that we experienced when we were back in Ephesus he said we were under great 
pressure far beyond our ability to endure. Listen to me. You and I, we're going to face some of those same kind of situations, some of those same kind of fights, some of those same kind of battles in our life that is far beyond our ability, our own strength, our own power, our ability to endure. And he said, because it was beyond our ability to endure, we despaired of life itself. We thought this is it. He thought we're, we're about to die for our faith. But then notice, he said, indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But he said, God allowed this to happen to us in Ephesus so that we might not rely on ourselves, but that we would rely on God who raises the dead. He said, God taught me through all of that back there in Ephesus. Yeah, that there's some battles I cannot win in and of myself. God taught me how not to rely on myself, but to rely on his mighty power. The same mighty power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And so that's what he says to these Ephesians. When he writes back to the Ephesians, he said, you need to know that when you begin to live a holy life, when you begin to recognize who you are and what's available to you in Christ, and you begin to walk in him, and you begin to walk in holiness, expect that there's going to be a battle. Expect that there is going to be spiritual warfare. And that's why he tells them in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. He said, I'm praying for every one of you. He said, I pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power, Ephesians, because you're going to need this power. And he said, I pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in heavenly realms. That kind of power is available to you. But he didn't stop there. He went on to Ephesians chapter 3 verse 16 and he said I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources that he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. And then he goes to verse 20 and he says now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to what? According to the power that works in us. The power of Christ. The power of the Holy Spirit. That's why he told them in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 15 he said now you've got to be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity because Paul said that's what I did in the face of opposition. I didn't miss out on the opportunity I didn't let the, the warfare and the opposition keep me from the opportunity of ministry. He said, you've got to make the most of every opportunity, even though the days are evil. But he said, I'm going to show you how to live. I'm going to show you how to minister, even in these evil days. Don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. He said, what you need is you need to be filled with the Holy Ghost. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit and then that's why he would go on in Ephesians chapter 6 
verse 10 and say, brethren, listen to me. I'm going to say it again, and I'm going to keep emphasizing it. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, because this is a fight you can't win in and of yourself. This is a battle you'll never be able to win in and of your own power. You've got to be filled with the Spirit. You've got to be filled with the Spirit of Christ. You've got to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Oh, somebody thank God for his power today. And he wouldn't just say that to the Ephesians. He would say it to the Corinthians because he knew they needed it as well. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power. Oh, not only do you have the powerful spirit of Christ on the inside of you, but he's made available to you powerful weapons that can break and tear down any stronghold in your life. That's why he said this to the Colossians in Colossians chapter 1 verses 9 through 11. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you can live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened, hallelujah, with all power according to his glorious might so that you might have endurance and so that you might have patience. In other words, Colossians, you need power of the Holy Spirit so that you can stand strong, so that you can endure, so that you can be patient even when you're under the greatest attack of your life. That's why he would say to the apostle Timothy that was pastoring the church in Ephesus, that was right there in the heat of the battle, he would say to Timothy, God's not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sane mind and of sound mind and then he would go on to say in the second chapter of second timothy so timothy you're going to have to learn not to just be strong in yourself but you've got to be strong in the grace that is in christ jesus why all of these scriptures because paul is wanting those people to know and the holy spirit is wanting you and i to know this morning that there is only one way we can stand firm in the midst of warfare. Only one way that we can stand firm when all of hell unleashes its attack against us. And that's when we stand firm in the power and in the might of Christ. Stand firm in the power and in the might of the Holy Ghost. Oh, somebody give God a good praise here today. I'm going to have fun. I'm going to, I'm going to have church today whether anybody else does or not. Oh, come on, give him a good praise for that power this morning. Hallelujah. You know, we see an example of this, and I'm, I'm, I'm getting close here to the end. But we see an example of this in the Old Testament that is so relevant for where some of you are this morning. It's in 1 Samuel chapter 30. You can turn there, you can write it down and read it later. But in 1 Samuel chapter 30, David and his army, they've been out fighting against the Philistines. And after fighting against the Philistines, they make their way back home to Ziklag. And when they get back to Ziklag, they find that the Amalekites had attacked Ziklag. And, and that they had 
burned down their houses, burned down the other facilities and had taken David and his army, had taken their children and their wives as captives. And listen to me, that's exactly what the enemy would like to do and maybe has done. That at some point, maybe when your guard was down, the enemy came in, stealing, killing, destroying, taking captive. And, and notice what happens. Verse 3, it says that when David and his men reached Ziglag, they found it destroyed by fire. Their wives, sons, and daughters had been taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until, look at this, they had no strength left to weep. No power left to weep. And and then notice what happens in verse 6, that David gets distressed because the men who have been fighting with him, that have been so loyal to him, now they're mad at him. And they're talking about stoning him. Each one was bitter in their spirit because of his sons and daughters. But look at this. But David found strength in the Lord. At a moment when in and of himself, in his body, in his emotions, he had no strength, he had no power. But he strengthened himself in the Lord. I'm going to show you how to do that here in just a moment. And he was able to go chase down those Amalekites and recovered everything the Amalekites had taken. And I I love this next verse. Nothing was missing. (laughs) Young or old, boy or girl, plunder or anything else that they had taken. David brought everything back. It's time for some of you to rise up in the power of Jesus, to rise up in the power of the Holy Spirit and say, "Uh uh-uh, what you took was mine. What you took, God gave to me, and you need to go confront the enemy in the name of Jesus and take back what he has stolen from you. And I'm telling you one thing, God will give you everything back that the enemy has stolen. Be strong in the Lord. And in the power of his might. How do we do that? This jar that is absolutely full of water represents every single one of us when we first came to Christ. We were full of ourselves. We were. The Bible says that we are nothing more than a vessel made of clay. But when we, when we first came to Christ, we were full of ourselves. We were used to doing everything ourselves. We didn't need your help. We didn't need God's help. We didn't need nobody's help. We got this. But when you come to God, some things have to happen. If you want to be filled with his spirit and be strong in the Lord and overcome whatever attack the enemy brings against you. First thing you got to do is you got to open yourself up. 
Because some of you have been closed to the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Maybe because of some teaching, maybe because of some doctrine, maybe because of some things that you've heard in the past, you haven't even been open to receiving what God wants to pour into your life. So the first thing that you've got to do is you've got to open yourself up. The second thing you've got to do is you've got to pour yourself out. Look, completely. Get it all, God. Every bit of it. Get it out. Till you're empty of yourself. Now, this is where a lot of people will stop. But that's dangerous. Because Jesus even talked about that once you have been delivered from yourself and you've been delivered from sin and you've been delivered from all of those evil things. The Bible said that we were dead in trespasses and sins. And now that all of that has gotten out of us, if we, if we stay this way, the Bible says the enemy will come back even seven times stronger if he finds an empty vessel. So what we have to do is we have to open ourselves up. We have to pour ourselves out. And then we say, God, fill us. Fill us, Lord, with your spirit, with your power. And don't misunderstand this next thing I'm going to tell you. Because I do believe that we've got to remain open to the work of the Holy Spirit, but that he, that he continues to pour in. He continues to do things in our lives. But you do need to know this, that after you've opened yourself up and poured yourself out and you have been filled with the Holy Spirit, you've got to shut the door to the enemy. You cannot let him back in. You've got to close the doors that you have opened to give the enemy access into your life. Be strong in the Lord, in the power of his might. And I'm telling you, when you stand firm in his strength, in his power, you can endure anything. I'm telling you. Even when temptation comes your way, you'll be able to overcome temptation because you know that God gives you the power and the vision to find a way out. Even, even when you have a thorn in your flesh, like the apostle Paul said, I had a thorn in my flesh. And he said, I kept praying, God, remove this thorn. He, he described it as a messenger of Satan that was sent to destroy me. And he said, three times I asked God to remove it. And God said, nope. My grace is sufficient. My power is sufficient to get you through this. And Paul said from that time on, he said, here's what I discovered. He said, I'm going to boast about my weaknesses because when I'm weak, he is strong. And that's what you'll find out that when you are at your weakest, when you are at the end of yourself, that's when God can be strongest, reveal himself strongest in your life. Well, I hope that you were blessed and inspired by today's message. We here at Summerton Church of God believe that God is a God who still does miracles. And we're seeing it on a weekly basis. 
people's lives being transformed by the power of God, being saved, healed, and delivered for the glory of God. And we want you to experience for yourself. So why don't you come and be our guest one Sunday here at Summerton Church of God. I look forward to personally meeting you.